All right, guys, good morning. Happy Easter to you. Ian, that actually uh, goes in amazingly with what I was going to share this morning. Um, that Jesus frees us from our self-concern, so now we can actually walk into a life that's lived for Him and for others. It's amazing. Um, yeah, happy Easter to you guys. Thanks for being here. My name is Nick. I am one of the elders and lead pastor uh, of this church. This is now my, my, my se- I think the first message I ever preached officially as the pastor at this church was uh, Easter Sunday last year. I flew in from Philadelphia. Yeah, I didn't, no, no, I didn't mean to, to the, there's no applause necessary here. I ju- it just occurred to me right now. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, that's right. Um, so in a way, it's, it's almost been a year, although physically I wasn't here uh, until June, so it's pretty neat. Um, I'm happy to celebrate this day again with you. Um, I know, I mean, you got to think about it. It's like, when you're a Christian, you've been maybe doing this for a while, but we should, uh, we should never lose the wonder of that Sunday morning, right? Um, we should never lose the, the wonder of, of the, the, the first day of the week, a Sunday, perhaps kind of like this, when um, life, spirit-wrought, indestructible, everlasting life, coursed through the uh, cold corpse of our, of our Savior. And he, he lives forevermore, you know. Um, I was thinking about this. Just last night, and um, you know how Jesus, before he ascends um, to the Father, after he's risen, he looks at his his disciples now, who he's about to leave, it would seem, right? And he says, "Listen, I'm I'm with you until the end of the age." And I thought, you know. We know now what that means is He's going to send His Spirit back. He's coming back in the Spirit to be with His people. And what that means for us is that He's here in this room. San Jose, Mercy Hill, Allen and Steinbeck Church this morning. And some of you guys might be guests, and I'm so happy you're here. My wife and I were stuffing the guest bag, get little guest bags. If you didn't get one, I really do hope you don't be ashamed to grab one on your way out. It's just those those brown bags. We, you don't want the colored bags. Those ones are for the kids. They have like multicolored, you know, pens and things. That you're not going to want that. But uh, we have a book in there that is awesome. Lays out the basics of of Christianity. Um, we have, like Ian said, some opportunities. I just tried my best saying, we want this church to have open arms for you guys. Uh, we want you to get plugged in. We want you to learn about Jesus. And I was, I was thinking, you know, regarding Easter, sometimes you have this mistaken notion when the culture kind of hijacks. And let's be clear, it's not about bunnies. It's not about, you know, Easter egg hunts. It's not about family brunch, although some of those things are fun. Although bunnies, I don't, I'm not so sure about <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of creepy, that bunny. I don't know how he got in there. <laughs> but it's about the risen Christ. It's about the fact that Christ is alive, that he is here. And it's my prayer that as we get into his word this morning, that he will meet with us in a powerful way. He'll meet with you, he'll meet with me. So, we read the Bible here at this church. 
We put ourselves under God's Word. We build our lives upon God's Word. Um, If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to raise your hand. The ushers will um, get that to you if you need it. Uh, And if you don't own one, it's our gift to you as well. We love giving away God's Word. So, we're going to be in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. So, in the New Testament, you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You have Acts of the Apostles, and then the next book over is Romans. We're in chapter 4, verse 25. It's not too much, it's just one verse. I went back and forth preparing for this this service and had some other things in mind and then just cut it all and, and went here straight for the straight for the cream. Romans four twenty five, it says this. Let me read it. We'll pray and we'll get in. I'm going to change the pronoun there since we're we're, um, picking up Paul midstream in his thought. Jesus, Jesus, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let me read it one more time. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray. Just reading the accounts last night of of your resurrection, Lord. Give me a heart for what I hope you'll do this morning. Watching you after you've risen from the dead, pursuing your people. You don't just gloat in your victory and and go right up to the Father. This wasn't ultimately even for you. You rose from the dead for us. And so upon your resurrection, you're going straight for your people, straight to your friends, straight to those that you want to know you're alive. calling them out of darkness and into light, out of death and into life. And Jesus, it's my prayer that you do that this morning with those of us in this room. That we would have in some way our own resurrection appearance. You would stand forth in our midst here. You would come after us, God, in our fears and in our doubts and in our tremblings. You would reassure us You'd comfort us. You'd save us. God, be doing that in the churches all around this valley. What a privilege it is to just be counted one among the number that are honoring, worshiping, giving praise to You for all that You accomplished on that cross. God, I can't do these things. I... I'm just just a dude, <laughs> just a sinner who loves his Savior. Thank you for loving us, God. Thank you for bringing new life to my heart and to so many here. 
pray, God, that you would use your word now to bring us into your presence afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, We might not realize it, but we live our lives in desperate pursuit of justification. You might say, I'm living my life in desperate pursuit of justification. I don't even know what that word means. (laughs) How can I be living my life to get that? What is justification? Let me just read you a definition here real quick before I elaborate further on, on my opening statement there. Justification denotes that action in the law court whereby a judge upholds the case of one party in dispute before him. Having heard the case, the judge finds in favor of that party and thereby justifies him. The person justified is described as just or righteous as a statement of his status before the court. So justification is a legal term. It's a forensic term. It involves a judge and a law and a courtroom. And justification is a pronouncement of righteousness by that judge according to some law in that courtroom. You say, I'm doing that? I'm in desperate pursuit of that? It's my contention that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we are in fact always in this courtroom. We're always trying to justify ourselves, trying to show that we're right, trying to show that we measure up to some standard. That we're not broken, that we're okay, that we are a success, that we are acceptable. We're trying, we're we're laboring for justification. We're always in a courtroom. can take on many forms, different kind of judges, different kind of laws, different kind of courtrooms. But in one way or another, we're always there, it feels like. Where's your courtroom? Let me continue to elaborate here for you. Where's your courtroom? Where are you in desperate pursuit of justification, of being shown right, successful? Is it, is it the office? Is it work? Where, uh, I mean, if you look at it, there's a, there's a judge, there's a law there, certain standards, and there's, certain, certain, there's a certain jury and judge that's there to say whether you're good or wrong, whether you've got, whether you've got what it takes or you're just a loser. And you want to be shown acceptable so you labor you want to be smart you want to be qualified you want to be a success you want to be on top of the chain 
You want to have that desk, you know, by the window that overlooks the city. and You want that. And so you're working hard and you're giving up other stuff like family and church and even sleep to get that. You want to be justified at your work. You want your boss to look in and go, man, I've never had an employee like you. You're on your way up, brother. I tell you, I debated <laughs> sharing this with you, but you know, your pastor is a sinner. And I want to meet you on these grounds. I, I, if I have to lead the way in confessing sin, fine, so be it. If people want to throw stones at me, fine, so be it. But I can relate to taking your work and making it kind of a self-justification program. Well, I'm going to prove myself with this. It just so happens my work is in the church. I'll give you a <laughs> relatively silly, but at the same time not a little silly vignette. I, I'm a pastor, but I still receive invitations to Easter from other churches, you know, and 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 uh, they come in the mail, and 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 I sometimes I, you know I read some of these things or whatever. I just want to see what other churches are doing. And I'm reading one the other day, and and it's like. We've got, we're, we're dropping a thousand eggs and, and kids from all over the world are coming in to do this. And we've got, you know, f- whatever, fog machines and flashing lights and, you know, uh, Oprah's gonna be here and we got a, whatever, you know, we got a goose that lays golden eggs and every kid's gonna go home with one. It's like, so I'm reading this and I'm going, in my unholy moments, what's the point of what we're doing at Mercy Hill? Why, if, if the evangelical Walmart is down the street, they got it all. Go there. I can't compete with that. Just want to throw in the towel. Now, what is going on in my heart in those moments? What am I after in those moments? Why would I not see value in what we're doing here? tell you what's happening. I'm trying to justify myself by my work. I'm looking and I'm saying, if I'm not the best, if I'm not better than all those, if we're not big, if we're not whatever, then my life is a failure. Then I am a loser. I'm not justified. I'm condemned before the court of my work. And this law that's been established, what justification looks like if you're a pastor or whatever. It's a slavery. It's horrible. Where's your courtroom? Is it in front of the mirror? There's a judge. There's a law there. I mean, you walk down the the checkout line at the grocery store. There is a jury on those magazines. And they're casting their verdict right there. The verdict is in. You are not pretty enough. You're not blonde enough. You're not tan enough. You're not skinny enough. Just condemnation coming to you right there. But you want justification. You want your life to be worth something. And now you're in the courtroom of beauty. And so you labor, you withhold food from yourself, 
You spend money you don't have to stay up with the latest fashion trends. You're going to the gym. You're waking up early and going to the gym. You don't even like it. But you're doing it. Because you've got to be acceptable. You've got to get up that standard. Fulfill that law and be justified. I am beautiful. I am lovely. I am acceptable. I am worthy of your affection. This can even happen, ironically enough, in our relationship with God, right? I mean, this is what Jesus is dealing with all over the place with the, with the religious leaders. It's like you kind of, you might wake up to the vanity that is pursuing justification from your fellow man. Like it's never going to happen. You're never going to be good enough for one another. But so we start to move towards God. Okay, I have this awakening. I want justification with God. So now you're before the right judge. You're in the right courtroom. You're pursuing the right law but all on the wrong basis. It's on you to get right with Him. And so you resolve, I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm going to be doing my devotions 5 a.m. like like the saints of old used to do. I'm going to be fasting. I'm going to be giving myself to the church and ministry and evangelizing, whatever it is. I'm going to prove myself right before God. It's exhausting, isn't it? I mean, even as I'm, I was thinking about these illustrations, I started to get just tired <laughs> thinking about how hard we labor for justification. <laughs> want to show I'm right. I'm okay. We live our lives in desperate pursuit of justification, but we never find it in any sort of lasting way, and we're exhausted. Easter Sunday is for an exhausted people. What man could never earn in himself, ever, God freely gives in his Son. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Brought together in this single verse is all the glory of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. I love it. Some scholars even think this was like kind of an early kind of creed because it just condenses Christian theology into a single verse. Our Savior's death, He was delivered up for our trespasses. Our Savior's resurrection, He was raised for our justification. Together, Good Friday and Easter exploding in this single verse. What I am going to do is just simply divide the verse in half and take the first half as my first point, the second half as my second point, and I'm done, okay? So Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. First half. At the bottom, 
our uh, desperate pursuit of justification that I just discussed, it reveals something stunning about us. Something we might not be willing to admit, but our actions are just screaming it. And that is, we know we're not right. We know that we're broken, that something's off. And so we, we kind of are always trying to prove, not just to, to others or God, but even to ourselves, that we're okay. What that pursuit says is, I know I'm not okay. I've got to work so hard just to get there. We might not ever admit it, but baseline, we know something's wrong. We might not know why, but we know something's wrong. In the first half of this verse, Paul tells us why. He tells us what's wrong, why we feel broken. Our trespasses. This word, um, trespass, is a, I, I like it. It's a visual, vivid word, right? It's helpful because, I don't know about you, but when I think of trespassing or a trespass, I think of, first, it's got to be kind of like this sign and then this line, right? No trespassing. There's the line. The trespasser comes over and says, I see the sign, I see the line, but I don't care. I don't care. Um, at the end of one of the runs that I usually go on up in the hills back behind my house, they have one of these signs, you know, at the end. I'm, I'm just warming up and I'm ready to go and I come to this sign and it breaks my heart every time. No trespassing. And there's this crazy thing in the heart of man, right, when you get to that sign and that line. It's like all of a sudden you start to hear the music uh, from those hills, you know, like over there is where all the good stuff is happening. You know, like that's where they stable the unicorns is over there. There's just magic going on. And we get, we get, we get this feeling that the line, the line is drawn because all the life is over there and they want us to be kept out of it. Right? Did I just say unicorns in a sermon? <laughs> Paul uses this word because it brings us to face our relationship with God and His holy law. In His law, we have the sign. We have the line. We have what God is saying would be good for us. And we're looking at it saying, no, no, no. You're keeping the good life from us. No covetousness. No adultery, no fornication. Come on, you're keeping the good life from us. So we trespass. See the sign, see the line. But I don't care. It's been this way, sadly, with humanity from the beginning. Right? When you take it all the way back to that kind of primal line crossing of Adam. Read of it in verse 18 of Romans 5, because Paul continues to use this word trespass, and he brings Adam into view. 
says this, one trespass, Adam's, led to condemnation for all men. The tree was forbidden by God as a test of man's allegiance. Are you going to trust me on this? Are you going to believe that I'm the author of life? I'm going to give you life? Or are you going to go somewhere else? And they're looking across that line, right? And they see, okay, no, that tree is good for food. It's a delight to the eyes. And it's desired to make one wise. In fact, Satan would say, if I eat of it, I will be like God. I'm crossing that line. One trespass, condemnation to all men. Because that just sets in motion what's in our hearts now, you guys. It just continued on from there where we are line crossers. We are trespassers. We keep thinking that life will be found just beyond the next line. We know we're broken and wrong, and so we're always looking and we always think it's just over the next line. So just, just a little fudging of the numbers on my tax report so I can get that vacation. It's just one more drink with a buddy. Sure, I feel buzzed, but no big deal. It's just one more look at that website. Just crossing lines, crossing lines in pursuit of life while sadly, tragically, ironically, we are actually running from the very author of life himself. Getting further and further away from the very thing we are pursuing. The one who can satisfy. The one we were created for. We are, as Paul would say in Ephesians 2.5, dead in our trespasses. We're not right. We're all wrong. We're not justified. We are, in fact, condemned, even though some people in this room might never admit it. We feel it in our bones. We're not right. Paul's saying, here's why. Our trespasses. Now, cue Good Friday. Good Friday. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. The one line that we so desperately need to cross is the one line that in our sin we now can't. Namely, it's that line that God drew around His presence right there in the Garden of Eden when He sent Adam and Eve out of it. I cannot admit sinners into my holy presence. Oh, but I'm not done. I will pursue you out there. But you can't cross this line and come back yet. God, rich in mercy, sends His Son out from His holy presence across the line where the trespassers are into the fallen domain of our world 
to make a way for us back. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. Now, it's interesting when you look at this word delivered up. It's one word in the Greek and and, and, and different angles come into view as, as we look at it. Because we might say, delivered up. Clearly the reference is to the cross. But delivered up by whom? Who delivers Jesus up to die on the cross? And if we look at the word, let me show you, where it shows up in the Gospels and other places, we get kind of different angles, different views. One angle, we see it looks like men are doing this. It looks like men are delivering up Jesus to die. It it doesn't look from that angle like here is the answer for our trespasses. It actually looks like this is just another trespass. We're just increasing our trespasses by delivering up the Savior, the Son of God to death. We're just aggravating this condemnation. It's not answering to it. Let me show you. This is the word spoken of regarding what Judas would do to Jesus. Judas, this is Luke twenty-two forty-eight. would you betray the Son of Man, that betray there, deliver up. Judas, would you betray, deliver up the Son of Man with a kiss? So Judas delivers up Jesus to the religious leaders, betraying the one he'd walked with for so many years. Friend, do what you've come for. Do what you've come to do. This was a friend. The one who eats my bread right has lifted his heel up against me. And here he is. We're just increasing trespass so far. He delivers, uh, Judas delivers Jesus up to the leaders of Israel. And these leaders want blood. Right? They want blood. But they don't have the authority to execute. Only Rome has the authority at this point to execute capital punishment. They want Jesus dead. Not just condemned, but dead. And so these guys, they they, they put together kind of this mock trial at the Sanhedrin, the, the high kind of Jewish court. And they bring in the false accusations so that they can then send the Son of Man, send Jesus off to Rome where he can be killed. And we read this in John 18, 29 and 30. Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. So Judas delivering up Jesus to the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders delivering up Jesus to Rome, in particular Pontius Pilate. And then Pilate sits down on what was called, interestingly, his judgment seat. Just sits down. That's got to be a cool seat. I don't know what it looked like. 
sits down on his judgment seat. He presents Jesus before the people. What do you want me to do with him? What do you want me to do with him? John 19, 15 and 16, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. So he delivered him over, delivered him up to be crucified. So this point... We got Judas delivering up to the religious leaders, delivering up to Pontius Pilate, delivering up to death. We said, this does not seem like a solution to our trespass problem, our condemnation problem. This seems like it's just adding more to us. And in one sense, certainly it is. But this is no solution to the problem. Or is it? Paul would use this same Greek word again, deliver up, Romans 8. Except when he does, a surprising new angle at which to view all this, from which to view all this, emerges. Romans 8.32 He, God, God, did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up, delivered Him up for us all. God did this. God is at work in this, giving up, delivering up His Son. That's what Paul is going at, Romans 4 and now in Romans 8. There is an answer to our trespass here, but it's just comes, it comes about in an incredible way. God answers our, our, our horrible trespasses against Him by taking those trespasses and working in, in them a way of forgiveness. As we kill the Son of God, He reaches out with mercy for us. This is why the gospel, this is why churches are doing this today, you guys. Because God is so amazing. He loves His enemies. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. And in that act of dying, He was making a way for enemies to be friends. And that trespass is turned on its head. This is why Paul would later say, Romans eleven twelve. 12, hear this, their trespass in rejecting, killing Jesus means riches for the world. That trespass, riches for the world. They thought they were killing the Son of God. Get Him out of here! Truly, they were opening a treasure chest for the nations. Isn't that awesome? Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, second half of our verse, second point. 
He was raised for our justification. As we move now to consider the second half, He was raised for our justification. We must consider exactly what it is we've been witnessing up to this point. I want to drill in here because it connects to where I was at in the introduction. We're looking now at this idea of justification. There is a final day of judgment coming. I don't like to talk about it. It's not fun, but it's coming. Revelation 20. Everyone is going to appear before the great white throne of God. Give an account for their lives. It's coming at the end of the age. Now, God, not wanting that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, 2 Peter 3.9, has been postponing that final day of judgment. He's been postponing it ever since the fall of Adam. Humanity should have been done there. God wasn't done. Since that point, He's been promising one, promising one who would come in advance of the final judgment and overturn the guilty verdict on humanity for their sin so that those who repent and believe might pass through judgment unscathed into glory. You see, He sends His Son to take on judgment before that judgment comes for us. This is the sort of thing we're witnessing in these last hours, last days of the Holy Week, especially of Jesus' life. He is, as it were, entering the heavenly courtroom for us. He's stepping before that judge. Stepping before God. For us. And He's going to endure the final judgment that we deserved in advance for us. The Son of Man is called to give an account. Though not for His trespasses, but for ours. What this means is that in, or I should say above, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court, where they're condemning Jesus. Above Pontius Pilate's judgment seat, where there's condemnation for Jesus. Above all earthly courts, above all these courts that are condemning Jesus is the great white throne of God. That He in those moments is bringing the Son into the courtroom and condemning Him for all of our trespasses. God wrote unto Jesus the long list of yours and my sins. He car- it's as if He carved them into His skin with the rods and the nails, and the thorns, and the spear. Yours and my sin are there. Jesus was convicted for us, condemned for us, crucified for us, consumed 
by the holy wrath of God for us. But now, based upon the second half of of our verse there in Romans 4.25, Paul would look at all this going on on the cross, watch watch that man beaten and bloodied, removed and buried. He would stand on the other side of these events and say, this is not yet good news. There is, there is more to the judicial equation, if you will. The crucifixion isn't the only side. Because my text, our text, Paul says he was raised for our justification. And like he would say elsewhere that might make it even more clear in 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen, if Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins If all Jesus does is go to the grave for us, we're dead. Because what Saturday says in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, what's happening Saturday is the jury's still out. As far as we're concerned, we don't know. We're looking and we're going, they're still deliberating the issue here, deciding the verdict. It's as if the bank is still processing the payment of our debt. It's as if the crimson garments that stain us, right, are still in the wash cycle. Like we don't know Saturday if that stain is coming out or not. There's no justification if Christ isn't Raised. He was raised for our justification. And so we wait. But then in the early morning, on the first day of a new week, when a few of his disciples approached the tomb, right? To their utter amazement, joy, fear, they find he's not there. That Christ is not in the tomb. That Christ is risen. That Christ is alive. In His resurrection, you guys, it's as if the jury has decided, not just for Him, but for all whom He represents, all who are in Him, the jury has decided, justified, Righteous, innocent. And as Christ's body is now incorruptible, so is His verdict of justification and ours in Him. I thought about this. It's like the Roman soldiers, the Jewish leaders trying to find the body of Christ. Trying to find the dead body of Christ is like Satan trying to find a charge against God's elect. You cannot do it. If Christ is risen, you're not going to find Him dead. And if He's risen, Satan's not going to find a charge against God's people. He's paid it all. It's as if in His resurrection, the notice comes back from the bank and the The check has cashed. Your debt is paid in full. There will be no collection agencies knocking on your door looking for more. 
Christ paid it all and above and beyond that gives you an inheritance. You're not just, you're not just out of a deficit. You're in an incredible eternal surplus. It's as if in his resurrection, that wash cycle ends, you pull out those garments that were just stained every last thread. Crimson. White as snow. White as snow. That's what the resurrection means. He was delivered up for our trespasses, raised for our justification. Here is God's final answer to Adam's trespass. I only quoted the first part of Romans 5.18 earlier. Let me read the whole thing. As one trespass, Adam's, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, Comprehended as one act. So, one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. The guilty verdict overturned life forevermore because of Him. Walking into that courtroom in advance of us, paying it for us, and, and meriting, earning, triumphing with that Righteous, justified verdict. If you're trusting in Christ, it's over your life. Do you understand that? There's no higher court. I mean, the lower courts can condemn Jesus all they want, and they do. And they can condemn you all they want. But the highest court in the universe speaks over Jesus' life, justified, so He raises no matter what men do to Him. He's up. Because He's right before His Father. And if you and I are right before Him in Christ, God is for us. Who can be against us? Back to those opening illustrations for a moment. And we'll conclude here. Part of what so dogs us about our pursuit of justification whether at work or in front of the mirror or even before God at church, whatever, is that it never feels stable, right? It never feels secure. It's never irreversible. And consequently, we can never leave the courtroom. You just can't leave it because you never know. You've got to keep working for that, for that righteous, justified verdict. Let's run through them again, and I want you to see this. At work, I mean, have you experienced the slavery of this? You just did an awesome job on this last project or whatever it was. And you're like, you celebrate for a moment. Yes! Look at this. The, the, the jury, their verdict is in. I'm awesome. And then you look, you look, your email or whatever. There's a new project on the horizon, a new deadline, something else. And suddenly you're struck with fear because you're never done. It can always crumble down because there's just always more. There's another project that you can just screw up. And then it's over. 
And you feel that. And so it just dogs us as we pursue. We're exhausted. There's always another sermon. So what if you knocked it out of the park on Easter, which I'm not doing, by the way. But so what? It's another Sunday. Ah, oh, okay. Ooh. You know, see how this is a slavery if you're, if you're operating there. If your justification is work, it's, oh, it's, exo- it's horrible. Same thing with your beauty in front of the mirror in that courtroom. It's like, are you ever good enough? You might feel like you've reached that pinnacle. You're like, yes. But are you ever feeling just, I can rest in this? No way. A few slip-ups, you know, extra spoon of, 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 of Ben and Jerry's with your husband at night or whatever. I know that's a weakness for a lot of us, so... You know, or you just want to sleep in a couple days instead of go to the gym. And it all just, you're just putting on the pounds. You're just not what you wanted to be and you're no longer justified and so you just can't rest. Same thing with your righteousness before God. Don't, it sounds honorable, it sounds noble if you're wanting to be that righteous, religious, whatever person. Doing all the good stuff. But that is also a horrific slavery. Perhaps even worse, because sometimes you can't even decipher that it's going on. It looks good. It looks like the fruit of salvation, when in fact you could be trying desperately to earn your salvation. Self-justification, self-focus. And so you feel good for a while, and you're looking down at all the other, you know, peon saints that are kind of mediocre, not like you. And then you give in to one that sin that you swore you would never return to. And you're just in the dumps. And you feel like you can't even come into God's presence. Trusting in your own righteousness. And so sometimes people just go deeper. And that condemnation, just deep, whatever. I've already blown it. I'm just going deeper. Maybe you're there right now. I'm just going deeper. I'm not going to be right with God. Forget it. It's exhausting. If your justification is dependent upon you, you can never rest. You can never leave the courtroom. Ever. But if you see it in our text, you can walk out and never look back. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. His verdict, mine. Christ goes to the end of it all, you guys. He goes beyond all the ups and downs and the next projects and how am I going to do and all the, all the what ifs. He goes to the end of it all. He goes to the last day. The end of the age. And He works righteousness, justification there. He is in the highest court on the last day. It doesn't get more ultimate than this. And He earns for us justification there. What that means for yours and my life back here is we can rest in Him. The amazing thing about the Christian is that we're no longer laboring for justification. We already have it. We're laboring from it. It changes everything. 
so much of the strife, so much of the jealousy, so much of the contention at work, in the home, wherever, in the church, is because we're striving for justification. But when you know, you've, I've been to the end, I already have it in Him. Suddenly, your labor, your work, your fi- you find that you can be at peace. You can rest. There's a love there. You're able to look out like, like Ian was saying at the beginning. We now are free to live for other people, for Him and others. We're going out because we've been taken care of by Him. Justification there. The key to all of this is writing your story into Christ's. where His judgment day becomes yours. Where His his death is yours. We've been crucified with Christ. And where His righteous life justification is also yours. There's really no fancy way to put it. There's only one way to write your story into His. Repentance and faith. Turning from the slavery. We think that Jesus is out to get us. God's out to get us. No, He's not. Hopefully I described some of your life and the slavery that it feels like. He is saving us from that. From this exhaustion. Trying to do it. But our pride doesn't want to let it go. We've got to repent, He says. Turn from it. You can't do it. You can't get right with God on your own merit. You can't get right in all these lower courts on earth. Not going to happen. Repentance and faith. He's done it. Rest in Him. Trust in Him. So whether you have been running from Him all your life or walking with Him all your life, that's, that's what we're called to. Repentance, turning, still in me, I told you that. I'm trying to justify myself. Turning, trusting. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray. God, thank you. You have done what we could never do. And you're calling your people into rest. You're calling your people to a labor that's not for justification, but from it. I pray, Lord, that if there are some here that are just exhausted, just been trying to prove themselves in all the lower courts or even in your court, I pray, I pray that they would hear the verdict that is available to them from the highest court in the universe. Let your voice ring out louder than every other judge. Justified. In Christ.